0: Tucked away on a quiet residential street in the Hague, a city located on the western coast of the Netherlands, there's a small Protestant church called Bethel Chapel. In the fall of 2018, the pastor of Bethel Chapel, a man named the Reverend Dirk Stegman, Received a phone call from a colleague who had just been contacted by a friend about a family in a neighboring town who were in dire distress. The family, as it turns out, were refugees from Armenia a husband, a wife, and three teenage children. They'd arrived in the Netherlands nearly 10 years earlier after fleeing their home there in Armenia in 2009 as the father fell prey to state-led persecution against him on account of his political activism. By 2018, they had been locked in a legal battle for nearly six years twice they had applied for and been denied a special immigration status that allows asylum seeking families with children there in the Netherlands to remain in the country but both previous times the courts had overturned the state's decision on appeal which allowed the family to continue living and working there in the Netherlands but now they were facing a third denial An almost certain deportation this time back to a homeland where imprisonment seemed like the best possible scenario. To be honest, the friend told Pastor Stegman at the time the whole situation seemed somewhat hopeless, but there was one idea, a loophole. An obscure Dutch law, he explained, dating back to medieval times, states that police may not disrupt a church service while in progress to make an arrest. Theoretically, as long as a church is actively worshiping in their sanctuary, no police or officer of the state would be permitted to enter for the purposes of detaining someone, no matter the crime, even resisting deportation. Would Bethel Chapel be willing to help, the friend asked. Now, initially, there was not much of a plan, A private makeshift apartment was hastily prepared using a few spare rooms in the church building for the family to move into. And simultaneously down the hall, a worship service was quietly started in the sanctuary. At first, there was only a core group of 12 or so local pastors carrying nearly all the load, even pulling all-nighters, singing, praying, preaching, reading old sermons while trying to stay awake. But slowly, things began to take on a life of their own. Clergy from around the Netherlands began to trickle in, and then gradually a flood from across Europe arrived with their vestments in hand to serve in three to six hour shifts. An emergency list of phone numbers was compiled of nearby neighbors who were willing to show up at a moment's notice, day or night, to serve as the congregation and keep the service going. But as it turns out, that list was never needed. No matter the time of day, no matter the time of night, there were always at least three people and often more worshiping there in the sanctuary. And because they could not so much as step out onto the sidewalk for fear of arrest, it was not unusual for the family themselves to participate multiple times a day in that worship, singing hymns reading liturgy, praying the prayers, taking communion. Not long after the arrival, the eldest daughter, a 21-year-old college student, wrote about her relief at finding shelter in this church called Bethel. A name you will recall from Genesis and the story of Jacob. Bethel, which literally means house house. I often think, the daughter wrote, that the only place where I am safe now is the church. It really feels like a refuge. It really feels like a refuge. You know, I spent most of Friday wondering what I was thinking when this text from Luke's Gospel and this topic got penciled in however many months ago for Dedication Sunday. Persecution? Imprisonment? Betrayal? These are not usually the top items that are highlighted in a church stewardship brochure, are they? After all, persecution, at least how it's used in this context, is a term that is foreign to most all of us. Few of us here in your homes, here in this congregation, can even begin to imagine what it must feel like to be that family huddled there in the Bethel Chapel to place our own lives and the lives of our children in the hands of total strangers. Total strangers who are compelled to be there with you for no other reason than faith. That a God who they cannot see, a God who they cannot touch, meets them there. Nor, of course, can we know what it must have felt like to be those disciples there with Jesus at the base of the temple or those first century Christians that come later, people who knew in visceral, real ways what that word persecution carried with it, who knew the price and the grief of martyrdom. Nor can we know what it feels like for those countless Christians and other religious minorities in our world today, right now, as we meet, for whom the odds of arrest and betrayal and even death on account of their faith far outweigh most other possible outcomes. But the language of our text this morning with its warnings of earthquakes, betrayal, imprisonment, and persecution, also reflects a deeper reality, one that I think we are all familiar with. Namely, the reality that following Jesus, dedicating our lives to this upside-down way of living, is often met with resistance. Both resistance within ourselves, but also resistance from those around us. As one commentator puts it, when change is pushed upon us, it is in our nature to push back with equal vigor. Right at best, people will scratch their heads when we're living according to this concept of blessing that Jesus has laid out for us over these past weeks, this concept of blessing and these beatitudes. You befriended who? You gave away what? You spent your day where? Hold on, you worship for how long? That's best case scenario because we know on the other end of that spectrum, at worst, people can become downright angry and even violent. You think God cares about that place? About those people? There's a term that Henry Nouwen, the late Dutch Catholic priest and writer and theologian, coined in his book The Inner Voice of Love, a term that has stuck with me ever since I first read it. It's what he calls the new country. Now the first cousin to the new country is the old country, of course. That's the place where we all like to live it's the place where we're all most comfortable where things are familiar where we feel safe where we are guided mainly by the world's concept of blessing by things like wealth and happiness and strength and power it's the place where we are most at home but where we're never quite fully at peace the new country on the other hand now explains That's the place where God dwells. That's the place where Jesus invites us. It's the place where we find that ever-elusive peace, where there is finally enough. The challenge, though, is that the path which leads from the old to the new country, the challenge is that it can be a scary and burdensome and at times downright dangerous path. Because, now one writes, it requires the death of what has become so precious to us. Influence, success, and yes, even affection and praise. But, he contends, the more often you risk crossing that border from old to new. The more often you defy those forces which push back on us. The more comfortable you will become. And the longer you will stay. As it turns out, that is what the Bethel Chapel discovered and one of the many news stories that eventually were written about their marathon worship pastor stegman was quoted at one point as saying at first we thought that this would be a burden for our church but in effect it has become our campfire what an image What an image for us today. Friends, the church of Jesus Christ, when it is at its best, exists for the sole purpose of leading others from the old to the new, of leading others to that campfire that rests just on the other side of the border. The church of Jesus Christ exists to invite our neighbors, in other words, to seek safety and warmth and refuge, not in themselves, but beside that enduring flame of God's hope in a world that can at times feel so hopeless. The church exists to help others find courage, in the light of a God who promises us that even when the burdens feel great, even when times are hard, even when the foundations of our very lives quake under our feet, when there is great suffering and persecution in the world, even when all of those things are happening, not a single hair on our heads will perish. So, you know, maybe... Maybe this is the exact text and topic that God wants us to hear on this Dedication Sunday. Because what we are really doing when we are invited to support the church of Jesus Christ, whether in this place or somewhere else, with our gifts of time and talent and resources, what we are really up to is providing the fuel For the spark of God's spirit to ignite and use to illuminate that path. To illuminate the way from the old to the new. That's what's happening when someone calls the church and says, I've lost my job. The future seems so bleak and the church responds, let us help. That's what's happening when when we discover that children in our community are going home hungry during the holidays. And the church says, let us feed you. That's what's happening when members in our midst are feeling lonely and isolated and the church of Jesus Christ responds by saying, let us knit together this tangible sign of God's presence with you. That's what's happening when in our communities we witness prejudice and injustice and the church responds by listening and learning and working for justice alongside all of our neighbors. That's what's happening when we hear the voices of the forgotten saying to us, I'm afraid. My home is no longer safe. And the church responds by saying, come inside. Stay by the fire. Here you are safe, here is your refuge. The more often you cross the border, the more comfortable you become and the longer you will stay. after 97 days of around the clock worship after some 12000 visitors walk through their doors after some 650 pastors priests and preachers from all manner of denominations and churches trek to lead worship in that small sanctuary Word came at the end of January last year that a resolution had finally been arrived at. The Dutch government agreed to grant residency rights to the family there in Bethel Chapel, as well as to review the cases of some 700 other children under threat of deportation, with the majority of them being expected to be allowed to stay. And so what had started in secret over three months before ended with a packed sanctuary, a breaking of bread, and a sharing of the cup. At the conclusion of the service on that final day, the oldest daughter from the family which had found their safety and refuge in the house of God, stood to read a poem that she had composed about her family's ordeal. A poem that ended with these words. There is peace in the Bethel, light in the darkness, hope in the eyes. There is much love, as a gift of God's presence here. And there is safety in this house of God, Bethel. We are safe in the arms of Jesus. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs, dear friends, is the kingdom of heaven. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.